I often read these words from Ecclesiastes at a funeral, at a shiva minyan, at an unveiling, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. But what moves my heart even more is the poet Yehuda Amichai's interpretation of Ecclesiastes in his poem, A Man Doesn't Have Time. A man doesn't have time in his life to have time for everything. He doesn't have seasons enough to have a season for every purpose. Ecclesiastes was wrong about that. A man needs to love and to hate at the same moment, to laugh and cry with the same eyes, with the same hands to throw stones and to gather them, to make love in war and war in love, and to hate and forgive and remember and forget, to arrange and confuse, to eat and digest what history takes years and years to do. A man doesn't have time. When he loses, he seeks. When he finds, he forgets. When he forgets, he loves. When he loves, he begins to forget. And his soul is seasoned. His soul is very professional. Only his body remains forever an amateur. It tries and it misses, gets muddled, doesn't learn a thing, drunk and blind in its pleasures and its pains. He will die as figs die in autumn, shriveled and full of himself and sweet, the leaves growing dry on the ground, the bare branches pointing to the place where there's time for everything. This poem, this beautiful poem of Yehuda Amichai, always reminds me of the end of Moses' life in the Torah portion, Vizot Habracha, which we'll read together in a few weeks. In fact, we said tonight in the liturgy of that moment at the top of Mount Nebo, where he's overlooking the promised land, a land in which he will never set foot himself, and he refuses to die. The Midrash, which describes the final moments of his life, is one of the most beautiful and poignant stories in our tradition. It is the story of Mitat Nishika, death by a kiss. In the Midrash, God tells the 120-year-old Moses that the time has come for him to die, overlooking the Promised Land across the Jordan without ever entering the place that has taken him 40 years to arrive in. Moses begs God. His prayers are so strong that God orders the gates of heavens to shut against them. He is so desperate to stay alive that he pleads, please, God, let me live as a bird, as a beast. He refuses to take God's answer. And he entreats the earth, the mountains, the sea, and even the stars to intercede for him. All, of course, to no avail. God will not budge. God has given God's word that Moses will die and God will keep his word. When Moses finally succumbs and realizes that this is his fate, it's God who has the recognition that this is not going to be an easy task. 
None of the angels that God summons will come. None of them are willing to take Moses' soul. Even Samael, the angel of death, is so frightened by Moses that he is trembling with fright. And then he draws his sword and advances, and Moses, with his strength, strikes it from his hands and blinds him with those radiant light, the radiant light that shines from his face from being in the presence of God. Moses begs God, do not hand me over to the angel of death. And God answers, do not despair, Moses. I will do this final task myself. From Sefer Agadah, or the Book of Legends, we read, Then from the highest heaven of heavens, the Holy One came down to take the soul of Moses, and with him the three ministering angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Zagzagel. Michael laid out his beer. Gavriel spread a fine linen cloth at his head, while Zagzagel spread it at his feet. Michael stood at one side and Gabriel at the other. Then the Holy One said to Moses, Moses, close your eyes. And Moses closed his eyes. Put your arms over your breast, he said, and he put his arms across his chest and bring your legs together. And Moses brought his legs together. Then the Holy One summoned Moses' soul, saying, I had fixed the time of your sojourn from the body of Moses at 120 years. Now your time has come to depart. Delay not. And Moses' soul replies to God, Master of the universe, I know that you are the God of all spirits. You are the Lord of all souls. You created me and placed me in the body of Moses 120 years ago. Is there a body in the world more pure than the body of Moses? I love him. I do not wish to depart from him. The Holy One exclaimed, Depart, and I will take you up to the highest heaven of heavens and will set you under the throne of glory next to the cherubim and the seraphim. And in that instant, the Holy One kissed Moses on the lips and took his soul with that kiss. Mitat nishika the kiss of death, or death by a kiss. How painful and beautiful is this moment. Moses begging God to allow him to stay, to stay in this world, the world that he loved and lived in and that he struggled with for his entire life. And God, after sending the angels, finally relents in understanding the intensity of their bond, the love between Moses and God, their connection, God realizes it cannot be an angel of death that will release Moses' soul. And we recognize, in the plea of Moses' soul, our own yearnings not to let go, not to be let go, not to lose our love, our human demand for our loved ones to stay here with us in the lives that we shared with them, and our desire in some way to continue the relationship of those that we have lost and in some way continue the love that they brought into our lives. God takes Moses' soul from him in a kiss, the perfect reversal of the way that we all came into being when God breathed life and soul into Adam in the portion of Bereshit. 
and what does it say about Moses after he dies on Mount Nebo? Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord singled out, panim el panim, face to face. This is how so many of us feel tonight. There was no one like that person that you are remembering. If you close your eyes for one moment, go ahead, try it. You can picture what their eyes looked like looking at you. Each of those people is uniquely, indelibly imprinted on our own souls, living behind and through our eyes each day. As I taught this morning about the words that we are going to say together, the Kaddish, it has always been a prayer that was like my spiritual compass. It's been a way that we comfort each other, comfort the mourners, and we find comfort. And in studying the Kaddish this year, I realized that it is singularly the most intense link that we can possibly have to the past and for our own future. And I also recognize that although I say Kaddish for others, when we say these words of blessing, we say them for ourselves. I say Kaddish to affirm my belief that I am a part of God's existence in this world. And this Kaddish also reminds me to take the beautiful parts of the people that I have lost and bring them into this world so that their light continues to shine. There's a beautiful teaching that I shared this morning by Rabbi Avi Weiss, who says that when we leave people who are in mourning, who are sitting shiva, we say, Hamakom yinachem etchem, may God comfort you. And we say those words in the plural, etchem, even if there is one mourner. Avi Weiss believes, as do many rabbis, that we have to use the word etchem in the plural, because if we are heartbroken, as we are sitting shiva, God is sitting shiva with us. So the words of the Kaddish are not only a comfort to us, but they're actually a comfort to God when we say them. He also teaches that the reason that we say yit gadal v'yit kadash in the plural, may God's name and may God's presence be made holy and great in this world, is because when we're suffering and when we feel lost, God can't be in the world holy and sanctified because God is suffering with us. In these precious moments of memory, we do thank God. We thank our parents, those who brought us into this world and sustained us and allowed all of us to reach this day here together. As we move towards Ne'ilah, towards those gates, we're comforted by Chuva and Kaddish, but we're also confronted by the gates, the gates of Chuva that according to the tradition in just a few hours as the sun sets, will begin to close. But the reality is that the gates of memory never fully close. They are never shut to our broken or to our healing hearts. I began with Amichai, and I want to end with another powerful poem. One year ago, a young woman, a gifted poet, Elizabeth Blue, died of cancer. She was 22 years old. She began writing poetry at only nine. And this is a poem that she wrote when she was 14. A Lifetime. 
I want to quote Rumi. I want to say 1,000 words of thanks. I want to throw one million rose petals in the air. I want to kiss the sky. I want God to know that I am grateful. I want to be humbled by the sheer knowledge of what is. I want to blow into one million pieces and dedicate myself to the world. I want to say thank you and mean it. I want to tell the world, the universe, that my Indian lover is the sky, the moon, and the sea. I want you to know that beauty is everlasting and that I am only a temporary placement of outer beauty. I want you to know that the beauty inside me is everlasting. And I want you to know that I did not create this. And I created some. I want you to know that eternity is forever and then more. I want you to know that me is just a figure of speech. I want you to know that I love you and that life today was one of those days worth living. <laughs>